0: Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 259 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about collage and mixed media with my guest, Drew Drew Steinbrecher. Drew has enjoyed working with his hands and being creative from a young age. He has a university degree in graphic design. Along with being a full-time artist, he's also a freelance graphic designer. He's an avid knitter, photographer, and traveler. Drew currently lives in Cincinnati with his partner, Greg, and their schnauzer, Fred. Drew Steinbrecher, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for inviting me. I've been a fan I'm, of the podcast for years. So
0: Oh, totally. And I was, I'm I've been a fan of your work for years. So this is perfect.
1: <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's so good to talk to you. And um one of the things, and I want to make sure we get to this that really strikes me most about your sort of journey in creative business is that you were a quilter for a long time. And now you're doing more like gel printing and a lot of like mixed media with paint, paper. Um, And I think that's fairly unusual. I'm not sure that I've talked to somebody who's made that specific pivot. So um, I'm excited to get there when we do. But um, let's back up a little bit. I know you live in Cincinnati now. Where did you grow up?
1: Um, Well, I I was born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, where all the Amish people are. Um, but we moved pretty, um, early to Ohio. So I grew up in Ohio, about two hours North of Cincinnati. Um, and, uh, you know, like I was a crafty kid. I wouldn't call myself an artsy kid, but I liked, you know, making crafts and cutting and pasting and gluing and doing all the things, um, you know, I learned to use a sewing machine pretty early. I asked my mom to teach me how to do that. So I had that skill. I think I thought at one time I wanted to do fashion design. Um, and someone dissuaded me from that and said it's a really difficult career. So that's why I chose graphic design. Ah. Um, so um, I ended up at the University of Cincinnati, that has, a, which has a really great um, design program. And here I am.
0: <laughs> yeah so you're saying you were a crafty kid but mm-hmm. not necessarily an artsy kid did you take art classes in school and was that one of your you know major focuses when you were in school
1: yeah so in high school I did a lot of art classes and I discovered I had like um a talent in design so and I you know I wasn't the kid who was like the, the, the really great drawer you know or you know I, I couldn't do um, the amazing pencil sketch. You know, I wasn't that kid, but I could, uh, um, I had this kind of natural ability at composition. Mm. Um, And that's what kind of led me to graphic design.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, when you were sewing, um, your mom taught you how to sew, what were you trying to make when you wanted to learn?
1: I did make a few, some clothing for my friends. um, And I was just following patterns, you know, like like garments, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, I never really made anything for myself. um, But, um, you know, I had that skill and I kind of put it away for a while until later Mm -hmm. in life when I bought a sewing machine and started making quilts.
0: Mm -hmm. And were your parents encouraging when it came to pursuing an art-focused career?
1: Yeah, um, they, I I think as, uh, you know, I never had an interest in doing fine arts. Um, it was always some kind of a design degree. Um, And I think because of that, they were supportive that, you know, whether it was fashion or graphic design or whatever, I'm sure, you know, they were supportive of whatever I wanted to do as long as it led to a job.
0: (laughs) Right. Some way to make money. Because I think a lot of people who are interested in art when they're younger are sort of steered to graphic design, whether they like it or not, or to architecture or something like that, because mm-hmm. the people around them who love and care about them want them to be able to have a career or a, a way to, you know, make a practical way to make money with their art talent.
1: Yeah, there were there were two sets of people, uh, two sets of students when I was in design school. Um, there were those of us who were like interested in graphic design, and then. The others who were, I didn't really want to do graphic design, but this is what's going to, you know, get me a career and make me money.
0: You know, mm-hmm. there were two
1: very distinct groups of people.
0: And where would, where did you fall?
1: Um, I fell into the, I, you know, I was interested in design.
0: Okay. Yeah. And when you, I don't know how old you are, I think you're younger than me, but when you were in college, was the graphic design curriculum online or was it like pasting on paper?
1: It was, I was right at the beginning of all of the computer stuff. So I, the way the program was organized, we did uh, like a foundations. The first year was all foundations. So all the design students were together. We weren't separated. Um, So we did color theory and composition. And I even had to do three-dimensional work. Um, So um, that was all hands-on. I had I spent hours in the studio painting gouache, and then cutting them apart and doing color studies using the you know using all these little color chips that I had created. Um, and then at the same time, we were also learning the basics of uh, all the Adobe software. So we were doing this handwork where we were fine tuning our hand skills. We were also drawing. I had a lot of drawing classes. Uh, and they taught us from scratch the first day of class they had us just draw straight lines Um, so they you know they didn't assume they assumed that we knew nothing so they taught us everything from scratch Um, and then you know at the same time we were also doing computer we were learning adobe photoshop and illustrator i learned photoshop it was photoshop 2.5 and it was before layers (laughs) So if any of you listening know Photoshop, you're, you know, layers are are fantastic, right? But I learned it before layers. So once you uh, deselected that thing, it was set. You know, you couldn't go back and move it. So, um, but um, yeah, so, um, and then in the second year is when we divided into our specific disciplines. So industrial design, graphic design, et cetera.
0: I see. Yeah. You got a good foundation. I feel like you might've gone to school right at the right moment where you got a little bit of a mix of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when you graduated, I'm assuming you went to look for a job in graphic design. So what happened next?
1: Well, part of the, part of the curriculum was, um, we, at, at the time we were in quarters instead of semesters. So every other quarter we would, um, we called it co-oping or, you know, we'd have an mm-hmm. internship. So I had um internships in Columbus and Boston and San Francisco and in London, wow. oh wow. Uh, so yeah. and i I would go every other quarter. um, uh, I would have school, and then I would go someplace and work. Um, and it was a paid internship, which was that's great. an
0: amazing college experience. I'm yeah. gonna give them props for designing that. Like I feel like, yeah that's what's missing a lot from college life is that ability to sort of see the application in the real world and mm-hmm. then come back and be like, well, does that really fit with what I like? And, you know, maybe I need to change my idea a little bit, you know, like it's, that's, I mean, so many of us just didn't have that real world experience to, to try on.
1: Yeah. So we, we came out of design school with a year and a half of experience. That's great. Right. Um, and the last place I worked um, you know, I had gone to all these places like Boston and San Francisco, uh, the last one I chose was actually in Cincinnati.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And I, I think it was just because I didn't, as you can imagine, the logistics of trying to find a place short term and get to wherever you need to go, it can be really challenging. And I was just kind of done with dealing with that. So I just stayed in town for my last co-op. Uh, and that's the place that hired me. So I got a job i I took the summer off and did the backpacking through Europe thing. <laughs> and when I came back, I started my job and it was at the place I had my last co-op
0: okay and where what was that like what what kind of uh graphic design it, work were you doing?
1: It was a small design slash advertising agency and um the the owner uh he still has the business. the owner is really interested in um film um so he he really wanted to do a lot of um as much film as he could so i would be on like we we would shoot local commercials you know that so i was having that experience i wasn't really interested in film but it was just fun you know to do that um but other than that we just did traditional graphic design i was doing annual reports logos Mm -hmm. invitations uh you know posters It was mostly print design. I would, I I did start doing, this was, I started that job in 2000, so 24 Mm -hmm. years ago. So um, we didn't have the ability to do websites, but I would design websites. And then we had another agency we worked with that would do all the programming and, you know.
0: Oh, okay. Right. So I was
1: doing a little bit of that. Just, I wasn't doing the, you know, all the HTML and CSS. Right, the
0: developing. That. You were just doing the design aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right. And so at some point um, you started this sort of, I don't know if I would call it a side hustle or what, but like your own art practice started to develop separate from your day job. So how did that come about?
1: Yeah, so um, at one point, I I met someone. I was having some anxiety issues, and I I, it was a friend of a friend, and he was like, "Hey, you know what? You should knit to to help control your anxiety." And I was like, "Uh, "Oh, okay, maybe, (laughs) sure." (laughs) And my mom had taught me to knit when I was a kid, but it never really stuck. And um, I, you know, I I was out, you know, I had this in my mind. Maybe I should learn to knit. And I was at a bookstore. If people remember those bookstores, <laughs> and I saw that um, that book—I don't know if you remember—called Stitch and Bitch. Totally, and, it's
0: a classic.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, that kind of started. That kind of like started that knitting revival. And so I I saw it and it made knitting seem really cool. So I bought the book and I taught myself how to knit. And so I I, I was I was knitting a lot. I was really into knitting, and that was around the same time as blogs started gaining popularity. And so I was on knitting blogs and I was like, you know, following all these people online. And um, it was also the early, do you remember Flickr? Totally.
0: (laughs) I loved Flickr. And that was the very beginning of like um, sort of monthly challenges and setting up swaps and kind of becoming an international craft community, I would say, sort of blossomed on Fl- on Flickr first.
1: Yeah, I, I I still have friends that I met on Flickr. I, yeah, there was something different about it. I, I don't know. It was it was a really cool place. So it was any, anyway. um I think through Flickr somewhere I came across modern quilts,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that kind of like uh, you know kind of like blew my mind because I was like. That's, it, it appeals to my graphic design sense, um, you know, because the hard edge of the seams creates this really graphic approach. Um, so I, I thought, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could figure that out. And, and for years, I, I was like, I don't know how to do that. It, it looks complicated. I, I don't, you know, like, it, it seems like there's a lot of rules to it or, you know, like, it, you have to be precise. And I'm, I'm not precise. <laughs> And one day I just decided, you know what, I either need to try this or I need to like move on. So I got my sewing machine out and whatever fabric I had around the house and I just started making a quilt. And it was I not, love it. It was not perfect <laughs> um, by any means, but I just started and I started sharing that work on Flickr and people started people really responded well to it and because of that encouragement i just kept going and going and going um okay and so that's that was kind of like what led me into the um eventually into the side hustle i have now
0: <laughs> right right exactly so did knitting kind of go by the wayside at that point
1: um no i still knit it um i just don't share it like you know i made a sweater mm-hmm. for my dog over christmas but and I, I i i think i put it on instagram stories but I, it's not part of mm-hmm. Of uh, my online identity, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I okay. I don't knit at the same frequency because how many knitted sweaters does one person need? And um, I've tried knit. I've tried to knit socks, but I just can't get into knitting socks. Um, so I, you know, I, 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 maybe one or two projects a year I do. Let's say. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So you started sharing um, what you were quilting online mm-hmm. on Flickr. Um, and then were you reading blogs, you know, sort of the beginning of craft blogs in the mid two thousands. And did you start one of your own?
1: Um, I had a short knitting blog for a while. Um, and I, I, you know, obviously I, I abandoned it at some point in there. Um, I think probably when social media became more of a thing. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. All right. So it was really about quilting and I guess, tell us some of the highlights from that experience, some of the things that were, you know, successes and, um, were things that you remember fondly from the, the quilting and the mo- the modern, specifically the modern quilting, uh, work that you were doing then.
1: Uh, at one point, um, this was actually an old client from, um, my first job. Um, she's a quilter and she saw that I was quilting and, um, she likes more traditional quilting, so at one point she said, "Hey, I, I have all these modern quilting books. I'm never really going to look at them anymore. Do you want them?" So I said, "Sure." So I so she passed them along to me, and one of the books was um, a Nancy Crow book. Mm-hmm. If you know anything about Nancy Crow, yeah, um, she is kind of one of the pioneers of modern quilting, um, and she has this really nice. Um, it's, I don't want to, it's horrible to say coffee table book, but it's a, it's a really great, um, uh, it's a history of her, um, previous quilts, um, her current quilts. Um, it's a, basically like, it's just a large portfolio book and I, it really resonated with me. And I, I saw at some point in the book that she has a teaching facility in Columbus.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And I thought, oh, well, maybe I could maybe i could take a class um and so i i i sent her an email and just said hey do you have any you know spots open and there were and i signed up for a class and went for my first class with her
0: wow uh, that's a great way to begin yeah. yeah
1: so that was um that was one of the bigger highlights of the quilt making and i i'm going to i have my so when you go to class with her, you have your name tag at the top of your section. And so I always bring the name tags back with me, like as a trophy. So I have, let's mm-hmm. see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So I've wow. eight, gone eight times. Um, and you, she it's kind of like a curriculum. Like you start at the beginning and work through. Uh-huh. And you kind of like, I don't know if graduate's the right word, but, you know, you work your way through her classes in order. And... Um, that's one, you know, earlier I spoke about how I put off quilting because I didn't know how to do it, or I thought I didn't know how to do it. And that really helped me understand, like, in my case, complex piecing. So, you know, with quilts, it's all about the seams and how do you construct the actual quilt, Uh, especially when they're improvised or they're, you know, you're not following a pattern, you're, you're creating it as you go. Um that was what I didn't understand how to how to make that happen and the first time I went it it clicked I understood i you know she helped me her and the other students helped me figure it out and it it suddenly I was able to create what I wanted uh-huh. um, and then two she, uh, that was kind of the first time I saw someone making a living as an artist. oh wow, so I thought. I mean, you know, it's a thing in an abstract way, right? But until you actually see it, see someone doing it, you you don't realize like, oh, this is a possibility. Yeah. So I, that's, that was kind of like the seed of maybe I could do this. Is there a way Mm. I could do this?
0: I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, and paper crafts, and more, Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $1.49. Visit craftsyoffers.com to sign up and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $1.49, you'll get a full year of access to over 2,000 premium full-length classes. Take your craft to the new levels in the new year. If you're an absolute beginner, Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you're an experience maker, make the resolution to improve your skills in the upcoming year. Craftsy is for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 2,000 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $1.49. Don't miss out on 99% off for the entire year. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at craftsyoffers.com. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now back to my conversation with Drew. Uh,
1: so, um, the, that experience was really great. Just it, And I've, I, I made so many friends, you know, because you're going through it in order, you kind of have like a cohort of people right. you're going through with. So, there's like a whole group of people I'm like friends with.
0: Yeah. Right, he'll do that.
1: A, yeah, it's a great way to network and just get to know people. And you know, so um I, I would say that would that's probably one of my you asked about quilt experiences. Yeah. Um, and there have been some others, you know, like getting into shows with my quilts, um uh, you know, quilt national at a quilt and quilt national. I have not mm-hmm. applied since then. Um we can talk about that later if you want.
0: But. <laughs> I would love to.
1: Yeah. But let's um, talk
0: about it now. Why have you not applied since then?
1: Um one, I've been um so busy with my art business. Sure. I haven't, to be honest, made much. Mm -hmm. Um it is a goal of mine to, you know, start making more art. (laughs) Um and then two, I think that it just I I think my um quilting voice has changed a bit. Um, I do have a piece that's coming up in a show in Germany and it's a hundred percent digital. So it's, it's, there's no, there's very little piecing in it. Um, it's all work I made digitally and then printed onto fabric and then uh-huh.
0: Okay. So it's like a whole cloth.
1: Quilt. Yeah. Well, almost. Yeah. Just there's yeah. very little piecing. Um, but yeah, almost. Um, and I, I want to explore that more. I just have not had, mm-hmm. I I should say, if I could make the time, I was going to mm-hmm. say I have the time. I, I'm sure right. I can make the time, but um, yeah, you know how it goes. You get busy yep. with your business and then you yep. get busy with your art business and then you realize you're not making art.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is a perpetual problem for sure yeah. that I also suffer from. So Um, Okay, so you were, you know, exploring that working as a graphic designer. um, And then did you in some way get introduced to printing and gel printing and um, collage making, and kind of shift gears? And how did that happen? Because you sort of applied all of the principles that maybe you were using with quilting, but to a completely different medium.
1: Yeah, I, as you can imagine, making quilts is time-consuming. You know, they can sometimes take months. Um, so I was looking for a way to create faster. So I I had always enjoyed collage, so I just started collaging. You know, making small collage, working in sketchbooks, and mm-hmm. around that time, I I saw people using a jelly plate online, you know, on Instagram or wherever. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Maybe that's a way I can make my own collage papers. Um, so I ordered one and right away, if anyone listening knows jelly plates right away, you're, you have an addiction (laughs) (laughs) making, making prints on your jelly plate. So this was also, um, like the early days of the pandemic so okay. suddenly we had, I had all this time at home. So I just started making and spending time in the studio. And I realized the that when I use the papers I make on a gel plate to collage, suddenly it feels like me, right? Mm,
0: I love that idea of like, yeah. what feels like me. That's great.
1: Yeah, because you're, you're already starting with uh, collage fodder or collage papers that you made. Made. So you're not, and I I love, I love collages that use found paper ephemera. I love that too, but um, I I like this more, you know, like I like using my own collage papers more. So most of my collages are probably 50 to 75% papers that I, I have made myself.
0: And for people who don't know what a jelly plate is first, go see Drew's demonstrations on Instagram because you will instantly understand what it is. But I've I've done it myself at a a workshop here in town. I hear you on the addiction. Um, It's very fun. So, just kind of explain what the plate itself is and how you create a print with it.
1: Um, so it's a way to create a monoprint. Um, so a monoprint. So the whole point of printmaking, right, is to make multiples. So a monoprint is, um. When you only make one, like mono one, right? So you you can do a mono print in many ways. You can use glass or plexiglass or whatever. Um, and for a while, people were using what was called a gelatin plate, and you have to make it yourself
0: with actual it, gelatin. It's like unflavored yes. Jello, but it's really yes. concentrated. And then yes. you let it set up, and mm-hmm. you pull it off of the the pan or whatever, mm-hmm. and you have yep. a, you know a big sheet of Jello, basically.
1: Yeah. Yep. yep. And people like it because it's squishy, and you know it—it's just a, another way to make a monoprint. The obviously the only issue is that it, after a while, it breaks down, right? right. It doesn't last, and so the, um, the jelly arts is the people who make jelly plates. They found a way to make it um, like shelf stable, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, yeah, um, and created this thing that they call a jelly plate and that's what it is. It's, it's, and it's just kind of taken off, you know, like so many people are starting to use these gel plates. Um, And so it's just a way to make one-off prints at home without having to put your gelatin plate back into the refrigerator.
0: (laughs) So how did you have to store it in like an airtight container or you, can you just leave it out?
1: The, a gel plate? Yeah, just leave it out. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's
0: completely shelf stable. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay, because the ones that we did, I made it, I made the (laughs) gel. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I haven't done the one that you buy. That's super cool. Yeah, I can see the appeal. So you Mm -hmm. basically use like ink and like a brayer and you can Mm -hmm. put down um, almost like a stencil basically and pull up paint with water. There's all these different ways to sort of manipulate the image.
1: Yeah, so you can, um, you know, you put your acrylic paint down, um, and then you can draw in it, You on it, you can, you know, use stencils or masks, you can, there's all obviously different papers you can use to pull the print, you can use tissue, you can use regular paper, you can use printmaking paper, you can, whatever you need. Um, I, I have, um, the one thing I like using is acrylic paint pens. Mm, yeah. So... Um, cause they give you like a really bold mark. Um, cause, um, you know, that's what I like in my work is really graphic, like a really graphic quality. So the paint pens are one of my favorite ways to use it.
0: Right. Okay. So you got super into this. Um, and we can see why now I'm like going to go buy one of them. Um, and, uh, and so, um, and started sharing it. It sounds like social media, Instagram, maybe the most was Mm -hmm. a place to share what you were making and find other people who are interested in the, in the same thing. Um, and, and it's really kind of what you're known for now is, is is doing this sort of work. So, um, yeah, so, you know, did, I, I know you, one of the, techniques that you developed that I have long admired is printing and then collaging into board books, which I think Mm -hmm. is so cool. And um, I have multiple times sent your videos to my children being like, we need to go to the, we have a dump here in town where people just like deposit all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, we need to get some board books and do this um, because it's so cool. So how did you develop that idea of using a board book as like a base to create a collage portfolio? Uh,
1: well, I, at the time, I could never really get into using a traditional, like, spiral-bound or hard-bound sketchbook. Uh, for whatever reason, It, I, like, I was trying, and it just wasn't clicking with me. And at some point, I saw people using vintage books to make things. I think, you know, sometimes they call them junk journals, and, you know, they it's like a, it's almost like a scrapbook kind of a situation. And I, so I tried that and right away I was interested in, um, working in these vintage books. I was directly like gel printing into them and, you know, collaging. And I, I suddenly wanted to do it as opposed to a traditional sketchbook. Um, but I realized that paper can be very thin. Right. Um, so the I use matte medium to collage. So it's very wet. And that can sometimes with that vintage paper make it do weird things. And so I thought is there a way, is there a way to make these pages thicker? Or how do I do, you know, like how can I make this matte medium work? And that's when I thought of the board books, because they're thick pages, right? They're boards. <laughs> so um that's where that idea came from. And I, I bought I, I bought a few and just over the over time figured out how to use them and started sharing them and people have really responded to it and really in, have enjoyed using them. So it was just a matter of finding something that would hold them at medium.
0: Yeah. It's they're super cool. It's a really good idea, a way to upcycle you know, books that nobody wants anymore or, you know, you find really inexpensively or in my case, you find at the dump or whatever, Um, and then you can just upcycle them. So, um, and make them into something really beautiful. Um, And then did you begin your teaching? because you do some teaching of this technique um, online? And uh, what sort of sparked the idea that you could create some courses?
1: Well, I... I had a lot of people asking online, asking questions online. Um, And, you know, mostly through Instagram. And they were asking, like, what kind of paint I'm using or how, like, with the board books, like, you know, like, how do you deal with the pages? Do you have to gesso them? What do you have to do? Like, people were asking questions. Um, And around that time, um, I I don't know if you know Kelly Wynn Conrad she um, was doing this thing called the virtual art summit and she asked me to be a part of it. And uh, essentially it's, she gathered a bunch of artists and the, they submitted videos and then she had this collection of videos and um, then she would just sell the course. Right. And Um, around that time, I was thinking, I was seeing people doing these online art classes thinking, well, maybe I could, maybe I could figure that out. Maybe I could do it. And when she asked me to do that, I I thought, okay, this is, um, the moment. Like, I got to just say yes, and do this and, you know, figure out how to do the video and figure out how to do the voiceovers. And once I had that experience, um, I realized I could. I totally can do this. I can totally make my own online class. So the first one I started with was um, the, the gel plate class. And I thought, I just gather all everything I know about gel plates and put them into this course. And I launched that in September 21, I think. And it did really well. It just kind of like blew my expectations out of the water. <laughs> um, and that was when... I realized maybe, maybe this is something I could do. Maybe this is the beginning of a business.
0: Yeah, totally. And I love, I love several things about that. One is that um, this person asked you to, to be part of something they were building and, um, by saying yes and participating, it's almost like you got a f- you got you got a chance to sort of see if you could do it, and it opened the door to something that you you know really grew your own business. So sometimes saying yes to those opportunities and pushing yourself to try something new that maybe you would not have done if if she hadn't asked um, helps you to gain that confidence and understanding and take that risk. So that's a great um lesson in just you know saying let's let's try it you know let's go for it and and had you done it and been like, oh gosh, I hate doing this and I never want to do it again okay, so you did it once and the next time she asked you can say no and and that's the end of that but um but when it comes to filming and voiceover, I don't know if you have tips I mean you do a lot of filming for your Instagram you do a lot of video, there. Um, You're probably making videos every week, I would think, I don't know, you tell me, but almost, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. you're making a lot of videos. So do you have some recommendations, some tips, things you've learned along the way that have helped you improve your video making processes?
1: I do a lot of research on YouTube, especially about how, you know, what's the best lighting or, you know, microphones, etc. So I would, I would, say that i would suggest doing your research uh but don't do so much research it prevents you from actually doing the thing right um uh, so i i i have taught myself how to properly light the video etc um i would also say if you're recording one-off videos it's going to get old or tiring after a while, so. If you have a recording day, record multiple videos. Yeah.
0: Get it all back. So you have the lighting set up, you have Mm -hmm. your materials gathered, whatever Mm -hmm. else you need, the microphone set up, everything's plugged in, ready to go. So you do. And so how many on a video day, how many are you doing? No, I I
1: don't, you know, two to three, not very many. Yeah. But uh, the other thing is you can record more footage than you need. And right. then you kind of have like a like a library, I guess,
0: a B roll, <laughs> like actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: you know. And sometimes I, I don't be afraid to reuse. If you're if we're going to talk about reels on Instagram, mm. I reuse all the time, right? You know, and I just have a library of reels. Sometimes I'll go back and re-edit them to make them shorter, maybe, mm. uh, you know, so that they feel a little different, but. Just because you posted it a year ago doesn't mean someone's going to see it and say, "Hey, you posted this already." Right.
0: Right. So if you have a good reel that you post in February, mm-hmm. um, you can post that again in August, and mm-hmm. it's not ex- exactly the same one, and it's yep. new again to the folks that the algorithm is showing it to.
1: Correct. Yeah. So don't don't be afraid. Don't think you have to create every you know every time a new thing. Um. What other um learn from what other people are doing, Mm. you know, um, learn if we're going to talk specifically about Instagram, um, learn, um, what works on Instagram and what doesn't. Mm. I'm I'm always, I'm, it's constantly changing and there are a lot of people out there. I'm going to go back to YouTube again. I watch a lot of videos on what the best practices are for Instagram and how to grow. So, um, understand what people want and, um, how Instagram works would be my, you know, and and then that way when you start the filming process, you kind of know what you need to do and what you don't need to do.
0: Right. A hundred percent. And you've really grown your Instagram following. Um, it's, it's, pretty large. I don't, I don't have the exact number. I'm sorry. I didn't write it down before we got on our call. 55,000. That's know. amazing. I mean, I think most people would be amazed by somebody who's at 55,000. That's huge.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and as I've learned more about growing my business, that's become a priority, right? Like I need more audience to see my products.
0: And is that coupled with an email newsletter strategy or...
1: Yeah, so okay. I, I do have an email newsletter. I only do it once a month, and okay. I think that's for me that 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 works.
0: That works. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, okay. some people do every week. I mm-hmm. I do it once a month.
0: Right. Okay. All right. And so, um, you have a a summit of your own, um, mm-hmm. at, which is where this has sort of evolved to. It's very popular. It's focused on collage. Um, I understand it's going to be opening right around the time that this show airs, which is pretty great timing. So how did that idea come about? I mean, you're connecting with other artists or, you know, and putting something like that together seems like a pretty significant (laughs) job in and of itself.
1: Yeah. So if we go back to Kelly, who, uh, you know, I was part of that virtual art summit she set up Um, when I had my, when I launched the gel plate class for the first time and it did well, I contacted her and said, what do I do now? How do I grow this business?
0: I love <laughs> because that.
1: Because she had she had done that same thing and started with said, a
0: course and then right. grown into more. But mm-hmm. I love the idea that you were good reaching out to her. And I yeah. hope was she like generous and helping mm-hmm. you
1: yeah well she actually said that's interesting because i'm thinking of starting a mastermind group for other artists who are doing the same thing who want to grow their online art course business so i was part of her like beta group uh and there were like five of us and we were all growing our um online art class business and um and i I that's been two years I've since had her as a business coach and she's pivoted mm. her, her business into coaching now. So if anyone's online, on, yeah. anyone online listening to this, and you're thinking about doing this, definitely look, book her up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was part of the strategy that we came up with uh, because I really like organize. I think I'm good at organizing people. Okay. And I like to, um, I like to stand back and give other people the spotlight.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, I
1: don't want to be the pe- person on the stage acting. I want to be behind the stage watching. My God, I,
0: I hear that so much. <laughs> that is exactly me. Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: so I, I realized maybe the summit model is the correct business model for me, uh, as opposed to just creating more and more one-off classes, right? right. Online classes. So uh, she helped me kind of put this first one together, which was la- a year ago. Okay. And um, I, I essentially what it is, is I ask, uh, in this case, this year, 13 collage artists uh, to create their own mini video classes, collage classes. They're all somewhere around 30 minutes. Okay. And they just, um, they share maybe a technique they like or they talk about their, you know, you can watch them create and create their collages and they talk about their composition choices, et cetera. And um, it's a, a two week summit every day. There's a new video and uh, you do have lifetime access to the video. So if you can't attend in those two weeks, it's okay. You can you watch it later. And it's just a lot of fun. We have a Facebook group. We have um, discussion forums in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And people get really excited about it. And last year, they, we had a lot of really great feedback and people loved it.
0: Yeah, I love that there's a community aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And what, where are you hosting this and hosting your courses as well? Because when you do have a lot of video, I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. 13 people, 30 minutes each, it's a lot of video. You mm-hmm. have to kind of come up with a way to host all of this.
1: Yeah, so I, I use think Thinkific.
0: Thinkific.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's yeah. you know there's others like Kajabi yeah. and etc yeah. out there.
0: Okay, that's good to know for yeah. for and that's for both the classes and for the summits all on, on Thinkific. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, all all of my classes are on Thinkific and you know mm-hmm. I did you know I did the research and just found that was the best option for me.
0: For you. Yeah. Okay. And when it comes, I hope this is okay to ask, but when it comes to compensating the instructors, right? So here's somebody who's sharing their expertise. They're creating a video. Sometimes that's like, they have to edit the video. That's work on their part. Um, they're lending their name to something you're marketing that's making you money. So how are they comp? I, I hope that's okay to ask, but how are they compensated for being part of this?
1: So I give them a flat fee, uh, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, And then on top of that, they earn a 30 to 35% commission. So I give them an affiliate link, a special Mm -hmm. link just for them. And then they can sell the course, they can share it with their audience. And then they get a commission if they make a sale. So, um, you know, they can make a few thousand dollars if they really Yeah. And I wanted to say
0: like 30 to 35% um, for an affiliate fee is really generous. I believe Mm -hmm. in generous affiliate fees. I think it's really worth it to do Mm -hmm. that. And what you end up with in this case, right, is a a crew of 13 extra people who are out there co-marketing this event alongside you. And I'm sure, you know, not only without their video, but also without their help in marketing, the event would not nearly be as successful as it is.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right. Like, um, and if you want to talk about it from like a business perspective, I, you know, when a a new student purchases the class, they also join my email list. So I'm gathering their emails. You know, it's essentially also like a lead generator for me, right? Right. Absolutely. I'm I'm pulling their audience audience into mine. Right. Um, So, you know, it's I guess a win-win, I guess you could say. It is,
0: absolutely. And and I'm thinking for some of these artists, you're helping them in the way that um in the way that that, that Kelly helped you for that very first summit, which is to say, you know, hey, maybe you haven't done something like this before. Try it, you know, mm-hmm. and and it may lead to new ideas for them alongside income.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and we have a range of of, of art you know the artists have a range of um audiences from you know large to small and they find especially those that have a smaller following it really helps them you know their email list and and their following and you know um a lot of i like having in the mix of of superstars Mm -hmm. with people who are maybe less known um one creates interest and two um you know, it really helps the people who are just starting their business.
0: Yeah. And how it's, do you um, find, how do you find people for this? Are you just looking constant, around on Instagram yeah. and yeah, just I'm keeping a running list?
1: Yes, exactly. I'm constantly looking and I have, um, you know, at bookmark. Anyone I think is, you know, could potentially be a teacher,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? Okay. And, and Go ahead. you know, not everyone says yes.
0: that know. was my question, which is yeah. when you reach out in in uh, you know from an from a organization point of view, you you know you're cold pitching somebody. you, you like their work. you've bookmarked them. Uh, mm-hmm. they don't know who you are, maybe. And so you're sending them a cold pitch. Hey, you want to be part of this event. Um, you know, how does that go?
1: <laughs> yeah, they they usually say, um, oh yeah, I know the event. Wow, I'm really honored to be invited absolutely. Or they'll say, tell me more, um, what you know what's required of me, or they just flat out say no. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, and that's okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think part of this is is being able to accept that. Some for some people, yep. it's either not right now or it's mm-hmm. just not right at all and it's not personal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I
1: don't, I I don't take it personally because, you know, I've said no to things too. Right. Absolutely.
0: We all have.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I don't take it personally at all. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as far as any tips um, for like day of, you know, you got two week, you have a two week, uh, you know, program going, but um, my guess is there's, there's technical hiccups, there's, uh, stuff happens, uh, any tips that you've learned now that you've done this more than once.
1: I, uh, I keep a running list of things to, uh, fix for the next time.
0: Okay. Yeah. Lessons you know, learned. Yeah. Yes.
1: Lesson learned. Yeah. And, um, I, I haven't taken my own advice. I, I should have hired an, like a, an assistant for the mm. few weeks, um, because it's mostly just customer service. Right. You know, I can't find the link to log in or I'm having trouble logging in or, you know, it's, it's things like that. Yeah. Um, and it's just like this, this constant, um, email, email, email. <laughs> you know? Um, when I, when I did the gel printer summit in this, in the fall, um, the first day it opened, I, I, at the end of the day, I couldn't I, my hands were in this like typing position for so long like i couldn't feel my hands by the end of the day cuz I, I had responded to so many emails
0: about how many people are participating in these things
1: in um the collage summit last year we had i think 1700 and in the gel printer summit this past year we had 2200
0: wow right so you got 2200 people coming in some amount of those people are going to have struggles of all kinds.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And some of them are going to become frustrated and want to refund entirely. I mean, it Mm -hmm. just happens. This is the way customer service is. And so, yeah, I think maybe hiring in the future, that would be something to hire for is the customer service piece during the live event.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, just otherwise, just making sure your schedule is clear, right? Like, I can't have a bunch of other things happening in my life when I'm trying Mm -hmm. to focus on this thing. So you, you just have to know ahead of time. Um, when's the best time for you to do that? You know, if someone's listening, thinking about doing something like this, like, like what is happening in your life at that time and just making Mm. sure it's scheduled at a time that makes sense.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's great. And so just give people the details for this one that's coming up if they're like, Either I really want to make collage and learn how to do that, or I'm really interested in this business model and kind of just want to experience it.
1: Yeah. So the early bird price, um, registration opens on the 19th of February and it's uh, $67. And the actual event begins on March 4th. Um, the price does go up to $97 and, um, the event starts on the 4th, like I said, the first video is released that day, and then the subsequent videos are released every day after that, um, all the way through to March 17th, and that's when the summit ends. So that is the last day to buy. However, you have lifetime access, so you do not need to be there in person. It's not a live event. All the all the videos are pre-recorded. Uh, so... Once everything closes on the 17th, you still have access to all the videos. You can go, go back and watch as much as you want. Um, if if you're looking for info, you can go to collagemakersummit.com, and you can find all the info there. You can also go to my Instagram um, account, and I have the link in bio, or to my website as well.
0: Okay, great. Very good to know. Um, Andrew, I want to make sure we get to your list before we close because you've got some really good recommendations. But thank you so much for telling us um, kind of the ins and outs of organizing something like that. I'm fascinated by that. So um, you wanted to recommend Adobe Fresco, which is an iPad app, um, as an alternative to Procreate. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, I started using Fresco because I have the Adobe Creative Suite and it was just included. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, before I download Procreate, maybe I'll just try this. And I, I really enjoy using Fresco because it handles photos really well. And that's what I like doing on my iPad. The art I like creating is photo collage. Um, I've since downloaded Procreate. And Procreate, the main thing I I don't like about Procreate is that when you move a photo off of the artboard, it crops it. So if you move the photo back, you've lost that part of the photo. Oh. But that does not happen in, in Fresco. The photo is still there, even if it's... It, when you can't see it and you move it back mm-hmm. onto the artboard, it's still... it's The, the photo is intact. So All right. that's why I like using Fresco.
0: Okay, that's a great tip. Um, yeah. And you wanted to recommend artist vlogs on YouTube, kind of like a day in the life of an artist.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I love those, um, you know, what do artists do all day vlogs. I, I'm hoping soon to get my YouTube channel um, kind of resurrected and start doing those myself because mm. uh, I enjoy watching them so much. I And I think that's what, you know, People kind of have this fantasy of becoming an artist or living an artist totally. life. So I think that even artists themselves, like watching other artists, you know, um, you know, what 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 do you do all day? What is the real life of an artist? And yeah, you know, so I I, I really like watching those. And there's a lot of them on YouTube. You just do maybe. A
0: Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you can share one or two links for us to include in the show notes of Mm -hmm. ones that you have especially enjoyed, um, just so people can kind of get a sense of what you're talking about.
1: There's there are some YouTubers that do it really well.
0: Mm. Okay, that would be great. So um, Drew, this has been great. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast and sharing your story. I love talking to you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.
0: And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Craftsy, calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at craftsyoffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy premium membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support And access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.